Welcome to Pediatric Meltdown, the podcast about children's mental health and emotional well-being. I'm Dr. Leah Gagino, a primary care pediatrician, and I created this podcast for the pediatric medical community and anyone who cares about children's behavioral health. Pediatric Meltdown offers thoughtful conversations featuring experts from the field. Learn practical strategies from the best and become a savvier clinician. Hey listeners, welcome back to another episode of Pediatric Meltdown. You know how you sometimes go to a course and you get inspired and you want to make change? Well, I had that experience when I attended the Echo Project Immersion Training. And I'm not going to go into any more detail right now because I want you to continue to listen to the podcast, but it was one of those trainings that was so inspirational for so many reasons. My guest today is Dr. Sanjeev Arora. Dr. Arora is the founder and executive director of Project ECHO. He is also a distinguished professor of medicine with tenure at the University of New Mexico's Health Sciences Center. Previously, he served as executive vice chair and acting chair of the Department of Internal Medicine and president of the medical staff. He also served on the University of New Mexico Health Sciences Center board for five years. Dr. Aurora has also served as president of the University Physicians Association. Born in Nangal, India, Dr. Aurora was raised in a household of physicians, which gave him a strong sense of responsibility to give back to his community from an early age. In 1980, he moved to New York and later to Boston to study medicine and become a gastroenterologist. In 2003, he founded Project ECHO, to ensure more people had access to best practice care for hepatitis C. Today, the ECHO model is being used in nearly every country to solve the world's greatest challenges in healthcare, education, journalism, and more. His achievements are many and include the 2021 Laureate Brock Prize in Education Innovation, the 2019 Distinguished and Regents Professor of Medicine, and the 2019 Lifetime Recipient Governor's New Mexico Public Service Award. Please join me in welcoming this remarkable physician. Hi, Dr. Aurora. Thank you so much for joining me. Hello, Leah. It's a pleasure. Yeah, well, before we get started, I always like to ask guests what their journey was into medicine and thought we'd start there. So, Leah, I grew up in India in a household where both my parents were physicians and um, I was my mother was an obstetrician and um, she ran a little hospital of her own, a small one with about 15 to 20 beds and uh, we lived on top of that and basically I was exposed to medicine all day long every day in the middle of our meals my mother would be called down to deliver a baby or or assist in a surgery and and so I, I was always exposed to that, and she always made sure she provided care to everyone, irrespective of their ability to pay. So she was a really good role model for me and never t- turned away a patient. And um, my father was a public health physician, worked in his last part of his career for the World Health Organization. And there, too, I really got a very good experience of um, what really is global health, what are the disparities, the inequities that exist around the world. And so I went to medical school in um, India, after which at the age of 23, I came to the United States and uh, 
for my residency training and and uh, my fellowship in gastroenterology always had a great desire uh, to learn more and that was one of the reasons to coming to the US to become better trained and I pursued a career in academic uh, medicine. I love that it sounds like you had sort of that on the ground personal care of your mother and then your dad has this big vision of global health so you've got kind of the micro and the macro of of practicing medicine yeah, yeah it, it was fabulous to uh, i feel so fortunate and uh, to have grown up in a place where they gave me some of the values that i use for the echo project now so we're going to spend the rest of the time talking about the echo project and i think we have to first start with you know what what is the project and what's its origin story so i'm a gastroenterologist by profession And I did my training for a couple of years in Boston in my fellowship. Earlier on, I was in New York State where I did internal medicine. And after finishing gastroenterology in Boston, I joined the faculty at Tufts New England Medical Center there, Uh, stayed there for six years and then moved to New Mexico where um, as the section chief of gastroenterology at the University of New Mexico. And I practiced there for many years and um, In uh, 2001, I saw this patient in my clinic, and she was a 43-year-old woman. And uh, in the room with her were two children, a 14-year-old boy and a 9-year-old girl. And I asked her, how can I help you? And she said, you know, um, I'm sort of trying to get treatment for hepatitis C, and I've had difficulty. I said, how long have you had it? And she said, I've had it for eight years. So I said, why did you not come earlier for treatment? We've been having this treatment at the university. And she said, you know, I live 200 miles away and I'm a single mom. And I I called your nurse and there was an eight month wait to see you. And there was just no way I could make 12 trips to see you 200 miles each way, taking so much time off work. I had small children at that time. And so I decided not to take treatment. So I said, why did you come today? What changed for you? And she said, I'm having pain here in the right upper side of my abdomen. And I I did an ultrasound of her liver and found she had a cancer of her liver, which was really um, too big to be resected or removed right now. And it was also, uh, she could not have a liver transplant because it was too big. And so she passed away six months later. And I was asking myself the question, why? did she die leaving these two children? And the answer was she died because the right knowledge didn't exist at the right place at the right time. And she didn't have the ability to get to the right place where she could get the treatment. So it wasn't just an issue of poverty. It wasn't just an issue of lack of financial resources. It wasn't just, it was a combination of things that she didn't have the ability to access treatment and paid with her life for that. And, um, So the real issue was there were 28,000 patients with hepatitis C who had been already diagnosed in New Mexico. Being a reportable disease, the Department of Health had their names, but only 1,500 had been treated because there were no one in rural areas that had the knowledge and the expertise to treat. And it was a complicated treatment of weekly injections and pills with a medicine called interferon. So I... I really asked myself, what can I do to get treatment to everyone? I know how to do this. I have the expertise, but this is really not right that people are dying from a potentially curable disease. And that's how the ECHO project was born, to bring access to care for hepatitis C treatment to everyone in New Mexico. And then we knew we would have a model 
that could be used for other disease areas also. Kind of uh, one patient to many patients. Yeah. Well, can you talk a little bit about, you know, what the, what's the ECHO model look like? Yeah. So the challenge was how do we treat these thousands of patients? And so I said, you know, I need more experts. So the model consists of four key principles. The first is to use technology to leverage expertise, one-to-many video conferencing. When I started ECHO in 2003, video conferencing was not as commonplace as it is today in the pandemic. But we used similar technology to get the expertise out. The second key principle was sharing best practices. That means there was one best way to treat hepatitis C. It was evidence-born. It was the best way to get best outcomes. So we said, why don't we share this with primary care clinicians so that they have the ability to treat? So I went around the state of New Mexico and I set up 21 new treatment sites for hepatitis C all over New Mexico, in primary care settings. These are in uh, technical parlance called federally qualified health centers. These are people who take care of Medicaid patients, uninsured patients, low-income patients, because those are the the ones that suffer the greatest amount when there is lack of access. So I found 21 of these and I said, look, here's the way to treat hepatitis C. Can you do it? I'll teach you how to do it. And they said, look, we are afraid of doing it on our own because we haven't done fellowships in gastroenterology like you. So I asked myself, how did you become an expert? So when I was doing my fellowship in Boston, I would see a patient present to my professor. I would see another one present to my professor. And I did this week after week. And two years later, they started calling me a gastroenterologist. I said, aha, I'm going to use this model to create new hepatitis C experts in New Mexico. Through the same way I became an expert, which we call iterative guided practice, in which all teach, all learn. And the fourth principle was to track outcomes using the internet. So at the heart of ECHO is what we call a tele-ECHO clinic. So once a week, what would happen? All these 21 would join me on a Wednesday afternoon from 3 to 5 p.m. and present cases to each other and to me at the university, a psychiatrist, a pharmacist, and we would together in two hours discuss about eight patients and 15 minutes or so I would use to give them a little lecture. As we did this week after week, something really interesting happened. In a year, they became great experts, like total experts, through a process which we called a learning loop. They were learning from our advice. They were learning from our lectures. They were learning from each other. We call that all teach, all learn, because They were listening to other people's cases, but mostly they were learning by doing under guided practice, very much like if you want to teach your daughter to drive a car, you don't just give her lectures on driving a car. You sit next to her and guide her while she drives. So this learning by doing was the core principle. And when we did this again and again, the weight in my clinic fell from eight months to two weeks in about a year and a half. Wow. Many thousands of patients got treated. And we published in the leading medical journal in the world called New England Journal of Medicine that these rural doctors and nurse practitioners could get the same outcomes as we were getting at the university. This was a truly a game changer publication for us because it actually demonstrated that what we had described as force multiplication had occurred, that the capacity to treat hepatitis C had gone up exponentially. 
And so that's really how the model works. And after that, of course, we started using it for other diseases and, and all kinds and of things. things happen. Yeah. Can you say more about the, you know, the all teach, all learn? And I think you referred to the democratization of knowledge. What, what does that mean? So all teach, all learn for us means that the traditional way of thinking is that if an expert, a specialist in a university just shares their knowledge with primary care doctors in rural areas, good things will happen. But, you know, the implementation of knowledge is a different thing than dissemination of knowledge. Because to implement a best practice, knowledge is one component of it. But you need to understand the social, cultural, economic constraints, the availability of tests, the availability of diagnostic machines, the availability of who of the workforce in that area, this knowledge actually doesn't exist in with experts. This knowledge exists in primary care settings with primary care doctors like internal medicine, family medicine, pediatricians who actually live on the last mile of healthcare and take care of these patients. So all teach, all learn means that our goal in ECHO is not just to share knowledge, which is a theoretical concept. It's to actually cure patients of diseases And that requires experts to learn from primary care and new solutions, that is new insights are gained through implementation. So when a primary care doctor is treating, we know what barriers they encounter, then we overcome them. When one primary care overcomes a barrier in one area, a lot of peer-to-peer learning occurs because other, other primary care say, I'm having the same problem. I need to do the same thing. And so that's how all teach, all learn comes along. I, I love that. Um, I, I mean, it just makes so much sense. And there's this kind of leveling the playing field in that, you know, it's not the expert who knows everything and, and it's kind of the holder of the knowledge and I'll I'll dole it out to you. But no, it's like, I have this, this is my expertise, but you have so much expertise. I mean, it really validates the person in the field so that they feel like the work they're doing is of value, but you're there to say, well, how can I make it more valuable? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I did an immersion training. So I'm involved in a child psychiatry access program here in Michigan where child psychiatrists, it, it's sort of a similar model, but they're there for kind of peer-to-peer consultation. I call and say, hey, I have a kid and I'm struggling with and and we want to do an echo because it just makes so much sense. So we did your immersion training and I was so struck by this tenor of love and kindness. And I did not expect that. And I've never seen that happen in a program like that. Can you talk about how you created that tone? Oh, thank you. First of all, thank you for attending and thank you for considering using it for child psychiatry. Child psychiatry globally, Leah, is one of the most underserved areas in the world. So if you're a child in Africa, for example, in rural Africa, in South Sudan, the chances that you can get a child psychiatry consult, pretty close to zero. And we know that childhood trauma and childhood mental health disorders can affect the entire life of an individual, not only their life, their children in the future. This is a huge deal. And so I'm so happy you're working in this area. I think that what we found, Leah, was that as we ran Echoes, and we now have you know thousands of networks in the world, what we found was that what creates value in Echo 
is love and respect and empathy and kindness and building community. That is the primary care clinician in the rural area in any part of the world is somewhat isolated and is faced with a barrage of information. Knowledge is increasing at an exponential pace. There is tremendous pressure from families to get best practice care. There is a shortage of primary care. They don't even have time to keep up with all the latest onslaught of knowledge. So just pumping more knowledge into them, it just doesn't do anything. It's not something, it will just literally scare them <laughs> of how, how little they know. Right. I mean, as a primary care clinician, imagine if you knew how little you knew about a particular area, how uncomfortable you would be in treating that patient. It would cause a loss of job satisfaction. So I think that part of ECHO is this idea of building community. That is, look, these are big problems. We understand the resources are few, but we can work together, validating that a primary care has an enormous contribution to make. And the interaction being based on empathetic listening, which is a way of showing love in a sense and showing respect and ensuring that both specialists and primary care have equal voice. All of these things are absolutely essential for ECHO to work. That if we did everything else correctly, that is shared the best knowledge, ECHO just would not work because ECHO is about community. It's about producing joy of work. It's about increasing professional satisfaction of these rural clinicians, reducing their professional isolation, helping chief executives of these rural organizations recruit more people by offering them a value proposition that you will have a community of support. It's not just we're going to throw you into this clinic and then you're on your own and you learn the best you can and do the best you can. Was it an intentional... I mean, you in the immersion training, I mean, you guys specifically use the language of love and kindness. Was that was that intentional or did it just kind of happen? You know, it was somewhat intentional because um, the inherent value that I was fulfilling when I created Echo was service to the underserved. Echo was just a manifestation of the value that I was trying to fulfill in my old in my own life, right? I was in a place in my life where I said, look, you've received a lot from this universe. It's time to give back. And to whom more is given, more is expected. And so the next step was, hey, you need to work. And yes, you can give back in a soup kitchen. You can give back uh, volunteering in strengthening, strengthening democracy. But you need to give back where you have a special expertise. So that's where... I said, look, I have this specialized expertise. Underserved people are not getting this care. This is going to be my way to serve the world. And inherently from service, service has to come from a place of humility and not pride. And it has to come from a place of respect and not superiority. And it has to come from a place of equity and not hierarchies and not, not a place of I am better than you, but a place from we are all the same. We are we all are suffering from the human condition, and we all have to work together to make this world better. And each person has a really important role to play. So that's where some of those uh, values of love and respect come. I mean, I it just feels so revolutionary to to have that approach. And I, I mean. Obviously, it's successful because 
I mean, Echo has gone beyond just the medical community. I mean, I think it's still really powerful because it makes sense for us because that's how we learn is case-based learning. So, I mean, how many how many Echoes have there been worldwide? So the first step we took was, you know, to try it for different disease areas in New Mexico. We opened one for diabetes. We opened one for, for pulmonary disease. We opened one for palliative care, for chronic pain, opioid addiction, and so on and so forth. We got about 20, and we realized this thing actually works for more than hepatitis C. And at that point, we realized that about 6 billion people in the world don't have access to the right knowledge at the right place at the right time. That's a mind-boggling number. That's about 80% of the whole world doesn't have the right knowledge at the right place at the right time. I mean, you can imagine if people in rural U.S. don't have it, what's going on in Africa? What's going on in Sudan? What's going on in Rwanda? What's going on in many, many places in rural areas in Nigeria, country with hundreds of millions of people? So Ethiopia. And so essentially, we realized that, look, just like we are saying an expert should democratize their expertise, why should we not democratize our expertise on doing ECHO to help the world in a much bigger way? So we set ourselves a goal. We're going to help 1 billion people by December 31st, 2025. Once that goal was set, the question then was, how do we get there? We said, what if we trained every university in the United States first to do ECHO? There are many people over there who may want to democratize their expertise. So we trained University of Washington, then University of Chicago, then Beth Israel Deaconess in Boston. This is a Harvard hospital. And so on and so forth, later MD Anderson in Texas and Johns Hopkins and Yale and many, many other leading universities came in to the extent that now we have about 250 academic type hubs in the U.S. But a very interesting thing happened that non-academic organizations like the American Academy of Pediatrics came in. They said, we have a big problem here that children are not getting good specialty care. So we trained them on ECHO. They set up their own ECHO office and really have from all kinds of different projects, they launched 100 ECHO networks for over 20 disease areas, disease areas varying from you know, mental health for children, transition from pediatric to adult-focused care, Duchenne muscular dystrophy, anxiety and depression, so many, epilepsy, newborn screening, infection control. It was just mind-boggling how they took it up and just ran with it, basically. Similarly, other institutions like the Nationwide Children's Hospital, they took it up for pediatric health, again, in mental health. So they actually train parent training program called Ruby. They also do it for behavioral health in primary care. They also do one for autism. In New Mexico, Presbyterian Healthcare System took it up for ADHD and anxiety disorders and autism and bullying and eating disorders and gender identity and many, many things. And we found that it was interesting that all over the world, children particularly suffer from lack of specialty care, even more so in adults, because pediatric psychiatrists are so much fewer. So for this reason, we went from one place to another in cancer. The American Cancer Society started doing echoes, and they've done more than 10. And so different kinds of organizations started coming. So currently in the world, 
It's a hub and spoke model, as I've described earlier. There are 684 hubs. These hubs operate out of 55 countries. The learners are in 179 countries. And over the last two or three years, about 3 million participants have participated in ECHO projects around the globe. And thousands of networks are there. This must be so incredibly gratifying for you to have made that, you know, that impact. I, I mean, I often on the podcast talk about how, you know, one person plus a team, of course, but you, you know, like one idea can become a movement. And so, you know, people that like you that follow your passion, these amazing things kind of will multiply because there's that that energy to do that. So I, I I always, you know, particularly for, you know, trainees is that, you know, if you have an idea, you know, put it out there, start, you know, give it some passion. And I mean, it's amazing what you've, what you've done. As you correctly pointed out, it's a team effort, right? It's a movement. It's not an organization that we are building. We're essentially arguing that in order to have a peaceful, joyful, world for all of us, for this earth, we need to have more equity. It's not possible to have people, 1,800 children dying from diarrheal diseases every day, which is the current state, and hope that the world will be at peace and there'll be no terrorism and there is no... These are all interrelated. And But it, it only begins when we work together. So this is a team effort. And uh, Margaret Mead said, never doubt the ability of a small team of people to change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. And I think that this echo team around the the world, that's our goal, basically, is to produce more equity. And for that reason, we've expanded echo into other areas. Now we have echo for education, where school, uh, school teachers are being mentored to be better teachers. We have echo for climate change and, and others. Yeah. So how do you measure outcomes? Because you mentioned that that was, that was important as one of the four key principles. So what, what did outcomes look like for, for ECHO? So outcomes start from the very simple to the very complex. So from the very simple, we measure how many sessions we do, what is the curriculum, how many people get trained. At a higher level, we measure, are they satisfied with the training? Did their self-efficacy go up? Did their professional isolation go down? Did their professional satisfaction go up? At a higher level, we measure, did their knowledge actually increase? Or did you just teach them and nothing happened? At a higher level, we measure, does their practice pattern change? So these are typically reviews of electronic records. Did they use the knowledge? So if you taught pediatricians to use more corticosteroids to prevent asthma deaths, then the question is, were more corticosteroids prescribed, right? Were Did you adhere to the asthma treatment guidelines? That's what we call practice change. The higher level of that is the idea that do patient outcomes improve? So for example, a project in India where the leading academic university was treating 1,500 patients of hepatitis C a year, used ECHO to train primary care in 22 district hospitals, and then went ahead and has now treated close to 100,000 patients. Cure rate is around 90%. So then now you're talking about patient outcomes improvement. Is depression better? And then at a higher level, and we have only a few studies, so we have 69 studies showing patient outcomes improve. 
But at a higher level, we have some studies that communities' health outcomes improve because if you treat enough patients, then the community is healthier. So many, many different ways of measuring measurement of patient outcomes tends to be expensive. So often there are grants, but we have about 420 publications showing that ECHO works. Wow. It's staggering the number of people that you have reached. And it's not just, I mean, I love what you said. It's not just about giving knowledge. It's like changing practice and, and what that means. And my own experience with our child psychiatry access program, you know, as a primary care doc, I was calling and saying, well, you know, this is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm doing. And over time, my prescribing practices completely changed. I mean, completely changed. It, it, it made me a better physician because I now had friends to ask. And, you know, again, it was that community that I felt part of. I wasn't on my own. I felt more confident because somebody else was like, yeah, you are on the right track. So, you know, I think the model really speaks to that spirit of, of teaching and learning and, and doing. So thank you. Yeah, that is the essence of it. So moving forward, I mean, you've got this huge global movement. What's your vision for the future of Echo? I think there are three, uh, three broad sort of areas that we want to focus on. One is we definitely want to partner with ministries of health in every country in the world and offer them the Echo platform, the technology platform and the training that it requires to implement Echo to track outcomes of ECHO, give them the Zoom platform, give them access to our in-cloud repository where we store all the information which we share freely with the world, curricula, case presentations, lectures, everything. But have them use ECHO for their health priorities. The ministries of health, which many, maybe 10 in Africa, maybe 10, uh, uh, 24 states in India, uh, countries, other countries all over the world, that have adopted ECHO have found one important feature of it, that it helps them implement their own country's priorities with speed, at scale, with higher quality, and at much lower cost. So we want to get to a place that ECHO is not associated with a disease, but is associated with the ministry using the model to help underserved people in that in their own countries. That's one. We already have reached a place where organizations like the Afro-African region of the World Health Organization use ECHO to mentor clinicians in 47 countries in Africa. But much more work needs to be done. The world is a big place, almost 7.5 billion people. So I think that we have a lot more work to do. We want to put a lot more emphasis on prevention. That's why I think our collaboration with pediatricians American Academy of Pediatrics and these children's hospitals is critical because imagine giving better healthcare to a child, early childhood education, early childhood trauma, and so on, preventing addiction. Another area that we have a big focus now on is education. All over the world, we find in all almost 200 countries that a child can be born with tremendous potential a tremendous desire to work hard in a rural area, in rural United States even, but doesn't have access to a teacher who can help them achieve their true potential, the loss there is incalculable, basically. It's massive. And um, how do we solve that problem 
with an all teach all world platform where a teacher experiences the same kind of support system that a doctor in ecoa and so we already have 50 networks like that but much work needs to be done there then there are some other small areas where we we are just dipping our toe in the water climate change is one of those where we firmly believe that doctors and healthcare professionals can play a big role because to control climate change we need change and understanding on part of every citizen of the world the healthcare workforce of the world is actually a very trusted resource if they are fully empowered with best practices regarding impact of climate change on health the need for making changes it is only then can we actually activate our society for the kind of personal sacrifices that will be made for climate change so that's another area of focus for us and then other people are trying to use echo for other needs of underserved populations bringing better legal care legal services to underserved people in rural areas same issue same model seems like it's only the limit of the imagination for the application of echo well and again i i hear in your story i keep thinking back to your mother in the small hospital that she created above below your family home you know tending to everyone regardless of ability to pay and your father having these global i mean it just it it's such a you know those childhood experiences i mean and what what has happened because perhaps those things your own experiences so well i'm grateful to the work that you do and i always ask my guests that if you could go back and talk to yourself when you were a resident what advice would you give yourself I think for me uh, that many many people that I've admired have have said something that resonates perfectly with me and that is and my own life experience points in that direction that the only way a human being can be really happy is by living a life of service that is I think a key principle that one cannot really be happy just by praying or just by excelling or just by making a lot of money or just by having your family do well or any number of success factors that essentially to whom more is given more is expected and every resident the fact that they are there are in a very selected society selected part of society where society has given them this unique privilege to be a doctor it's a great blessing for them and they will be much happier will lead a much more joyful peaceful life if they actually adopt that as a mission in life that is put on the lens of service this of course means you will still make a good living you'll still going to do really well but one must look at life through the lens of service to others and one does that it is almost like you put on rose colored glasses where the whole world looks so beautiful and every day is full of uh, great joy and achievement and so i think that's the one advice i would give to a resident because sometimes you know we can get lost in the intricacies and the challenges of healthcare but underlying that if we put on the lens of service then everything starts looking much better you must lead a joyful and happy life because you do live in service i mean i it's It's very inspiring. I mean, it makes me proud to be a doctor. 
no, I'm, I feel blessed and uh, to have the opportunity to serve in this way and to uh, also have a chance to talk to you and, and also uh, thank you for attending Echo Immersion. And I hope uh, you will lead a successful Echo. You yourself <laughs> well, seem to you. have all the skills required to lead an amazing Echo, which will help lots and lots of people. And um, Well, I, pre- I appreciate the uplift. And I'm grateful for your time. I know when you're attending to, what was it, 3 million people that you're serving around the world, that you're a busy man. So thank you. Thank you for your time and for all that you're doing in the world. Thank you, Leah, for this opportunity. What a lovely and inspiring conversation. And honestly, by the end, I had tears in my eyes. There are so many things that I want to share. And I hope that you were as moved by Dr. Aurora's interview as I was. So here are my takeaways. Number one, moving mountains may start with just one idea, be applied to one patient, and then many. And you can really change the needle for so many people by this simple idea of sharing knowledge. Number two, what takes healthcare to the next level is having the right knowledge at the right place at the right time so that each patient gets the care that they need when they need it. Number three, the ECHO model has four key components. It uses technology as leverage, shares best practice and evidence-based knowledge, uses an all-teach, all-learn strategy, and measures outcomes. Number four, there have been 3 million participants in over 179 countries who have participated in ECHO projects. I mean, that's just huge. And this was one person's idea. Imagine that. And they have built this community in order to learn. Number five, ECHO uses the strategy of learning by doing, by forced multiplication, and by iterative guided practices. Small steps. See one, do one, teach one is the model that I learned as a resident. And I think this somewhat applies to that, that you learn about one from each other, that you see it and then you do it, but that you get to come back to your community to ask questions and learn from others. Number six, participants, again, learn by doing. Knowledge alone is not enough. Number seven, Echo increases self-efficacy and decreases isolation. So you're not the lone primary care person out there in the field trying to get through your day and provide the best care. Now you have a group of folks to surround you and offer you help. Number eight, Echo embodies love and compassion. Dr. Aurora said, service comes from humility, not pride, not superiority. All teach all learn. Number nine, the American Academy of Pediatrics has embraced the ECHO model and serves as an ECHO hub. They have provided over a hundred ECHO projects on a variety of topics. AAP members can search the aap.org site for an ECHO opportunity near you. And because it's a virtual opportunity, honestly, you can be anywhere in the country for most ECHO projects. Number 10, and I love this so much, The only way a human can be happy is to live a life of service. Be happy, serve. Thank you so much for joining me today. I know that you all serve the community and particularly children. These are tough times and to bring your heart and your game every day takes a lot. 
and I admire and appreciate everything that you do. If you can take a minute and rate and review this show, I would really appreciate it so that we can share this information with others. It it really means a lot when you take the time to make a review. I also wanted to share that Pediatric Meltdown was listed as a top 20 pediatric podcast on Feedspot. So that was exciting. Please join me next week for another great guest. Take care and be well. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pediatric Meltdown. In the words of Maya Angelou, do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. Let's do better together. This podcast was made possible by the team at Streamlined Podcasts. Music was composed by Connor McHugh and cover art was designed by Alexia Barrero.